So um, I don't I don't cuss. I try not to cuss too much. I try I try not to. Um, instead, I use other colorful language. One of my favorite uh, words to use in the English dictionary uh, that that I use as a question uh, is the word really, like really. Now, I, I, I try to refrain from using vulgar words, um, but when someone asks me like a silly question that I've already answered, you know what my response is? Really? Really? That, that's probably like the most upset that you will find me. And it, it's not because I don't know all the bad words. Trust me, I know all of them. Uh, but when I'm really mad, when I'm really upset, when I'm really uh, just kind of confused or frustrated or disappointed, I say, really? Really? Like, for, for example, when somebody, let's say my seven-year-old, um, does something that don't make no sense, I say, really? Like, really, that, that's what you want to do with all the laundry that I just folded this whole afternoon? Really? That's what you want to do with it? Really? And my, my vo- the pitch gets higher, the angrier that I get. Really? Right. And so now my kids have picked up on this. Um, like me, they, they usually say this when when life seems just, you know, woefully unfair, given all the hardships that they've already had to go through throughout the day. When when they, you know, have had a long day of school and then after school program and then they've had homework and then they walk in the door and I say, hey, can you can you guys help me you know, take out the trash and feed the pets? You know what they say? Really? <laughs> Two high-pitched voices. And, and the question is, is intended to ask, like, in light, in the, midst, in the midst of all that I've got going on, is that, is that really what you want to do? Is that really what you want to ask? Are, are you sure about that? Really? It's, it's, more, it's more of just, more than just disbelief. It, it's... It's irritated disbelief. Irritated, usually born out of a, a sense of unfairness or unjustness or, or, or neglect. Like, really? You, you stopped at Chick-fil-A and you didn't get me any waffle fries? Really? It, it's, it's not just disbelief because there's proof. I mean, there's an empty container, a red empty container, with the Chick-fil-A thing on it. I, I know that, that you did this. I know that it's true. There's evidence. It's true. But the question comes from an irritation of being overlooked or neglected. And so John the Baptist has one of these kind of really moments one of these really questions. We've been talking about John the Baptist for uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, John is an important guy. He's uh, the, the cousin um, or probably more likely the uncle of Jesus. Um, but John had a very important role to play. He, he, had an under, he had an assignment. He understood the assignment. His assignment from God was to prepare the world for the Messiah, to do as the prophet Isaiah said to, to make a path for the coming king, to turn people's hearts back towards God. He was to preach and to baptize and to prepare the world for the new king who was coming, someone who would 
bring about the reign of God, bring about the justice of God, someone who would transform the world back into what God originally attended it to be. And so John worked hard. Nobody worked harder than John. John's preaching and baptizing were like maintained at a frenzied pace. And he was the one who was to point to Jesus and to say to the world, Pay attention. The king is coming. The king is coming. Get ready. And then John gets thrown into prison. John was uh, arrested by Herod Antipas, who was uh, the son of Herod the Great. We'll talk about him on Christmas Eve. Um, But John was arrested by King Herod for two reasons. The first is that John confronted King Herod because Herod divorced his first wife for no reason, like without any cause. And this was unlawful in the Jewish tradition. And so what happens is that Herod divorced his first wife And so she goes back home to her hometown, which is Nabata. It's this Arab um, kingdom that's in the kind of southeast of Galilee. Anyways, she goes back home. She tells her daddy what had happened, that Herod divorced her for no reason at all. And then you know what happens? Her father sends an army out to greet Herod. It's kind of a fun story, actually. Eventually... Herod is is exiled. He's no longer allowed to rule. And everybody was telling him, this is a terrible idea. Like if you divorce her without any cause, like there's going to be some consequences to this. It, It turns out that if you divorce the daughter of your potential enemy, well, they become your actual enemy. And all of those country songs about a dad and his daughter and his shotgun turn out to be true, right? But the second reason that John gets thrown into prison and why he confronted Herod was because Herod married his sister-in-law. Yeah, weird royal family drama, okay? So Herod's brother, Philip, was married to Herodias, but Herod, King Herod decided, well, she pretty much has my name already, so I'm going to take your wife and I'm going to marry her. So now it's Herod and Herodias, uh, brother and sister-in-law. But John the Baptist said, hey, Look, politicians may not be priests, but you need to have some morals too. Like you can't go sleeping with whomever you want. Imagine that, right? Herod wasn't too fond of that. And especially Herod's new wife, Herodias, was really offended about this. And so John gets thrown into prison for talking trash about the royal relationship. And so John's in prison. Uh, This is where our story kind of picks up. This is Matthew chapter 11, um, starting in verse 2. It says, Now, when John heard in prison about the things Jesus was doing, He sent word by his disciples to Jesus asking, are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? You know, that that question, it it wouldn't really bother me so much if, if it was Nicodemus. Who asked the question? You remember uh, the religious leader who met with Jesus in the secret of the night and Nicodemus, he was, he was questioning, but, but he was curious. It wouldn't bother me so much if it was Judas who asked this question, the disciple who's about to betray Jesus. It wouldn't bother me so much if it was somebody that Jesus healed 
that is that is amazed at what Jesus has just done for them, but but also just kind of confused a little bit too. It wouldn't bother me if it was even Peter who asked this question, because Peter asks stupid questions all the time. But what makes this question so disturbing is that it came from John. John was the one who was to pave the way for Jesus. The, the, one, the one who stood on the riverbanks, pointed to him and said, look, here's the Lamb of God. Here's the new king, the Messiah. John's the one who pointed and said, look, behold, the Lamb of God. John was the one who made the first announcement, and now he's questioning. Really? Really? John John asks the question that he has already answered years ago when he stood on the riverbanks of Jordan. But, but now he's been in prison for probably about a year. And he's just getting secondhand reports of what Jesus has been doing. What's so, what's so amazing about this is that John, who was, who was once so certain about this Jesus, who boldly announced before the world the ministry of Jesus on, on the riverbanks of Jordan, he's now questioning the ministry of Jesus. And John's in prison now, waiting patiently for the Messiah. But, but the certainty that he once had, it's not so certain anymore. Really? Is this it? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we be looking for someone else? Really? So what happened? What happened to John? Did, did John lose faith? Did he no longer believe that Jesus was the one who was promised? I don't believe that the answer was no to either one of those questions. I think instead, John is wrestling with something that all of us, as we walk with God, we have or we will wrestle with. Discouragement. Disappointment. See, discouragement happens when there's that gap between your expectations and reality, right? That, that's, where, that's where discouragement creeps in, is in the gap between expectation and reality, when your expectations are not met, because reality is different than what you had hoped for. We become discouraged, frustrated disbelief. Really? This is where we're at? That when you get the test results that weren't what you hoped for. Really? When the marriage didn't turn out happily ever after. Really? When, you're, when your children don't do what you thought or hoped that they would do. Really? When you didn't get the opportunity to grow old together. Really? When, when your picture of life just doesn't turn out the way that you intended to paint it. Really? Discouragement. Frustrated, irritated, disbelief. It's the gap between what we expect and what we actually experience. You see, you, you come to the conclusion, the conclusion that you come to, 
is based on the belief that you start with. And so if you start by believing that the proof of your faith is that you never experience doubt, then the moment that you start to doubt, your faith just falls apart. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we, should we keep waiting? Is there, is there someone else? Maybe someone better. That's the question that we ask from our own confined prison cells. And when we have this limited understanding of Jesus and who he is and, and what he does, it's the question that we ask from our own jail cells blocked out by the concrete walls of hatred and division and injustice and sickness and disease and sin. Discouragement can wreck your faith easy. <laughs> Easy. I, I know that you all have had those conversations before. Those, those, I thought you were gonna, right? Those, those conversations that there's a gap between expectation and reality. And it goes a little bit like, I, I thought the church was, I thought Christianity was, I thought Christians were, I thought Christ was. And you know, it's so easy to become discouraged when you are the one who sets the expectations for what you believe about church and Christianity and Christians and Christ, what they do and what they ought to do. Really? But here's the good news. Discouragement can also build your faith. It just takes that, that harder work of getting over your own expectations and seeing the reality of what you experience currently as something good or even potentially better than what you had initially expected. You see, John, he had all of these expectations about Jesus. I mean, John was there on, on the riverbanks. He called people a bunch of snakes, <laughs> you children of snakes, saying that Jesus was going to come with axe in hand, cut down all of the trees that didn't produce any fruit, throw them into the fire. That, that Jesus was going to come with pitchfork in hand, separating the wheat from the chaff and burn all of the useless stuff up. And then Jesus shows up with grace instead of judgment. And John's like, WTF, where's the fire? Where, where's the fork? What's, what's going on here? But Jesus didn't come with any of those things. Instead, Jesus came with grace and love and truth. And so here's what Jesus says to John's response and John's discouragement. Matthew uh, verse four, Matthew 11, verse four says, Jesus responded, go, go talking to John's disciples, go report to John what you hear and what you see. Here's what you hear and see. Those who are blind are able to see those who are crippled are walking. People with skin diseases are cleansed. Those who are deaf, now here, those who were dead are raised up. The poor have good news proclaimed to them. Look around you. What do you see? What do you hear? The, the blind have received a sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The dead are raised. The poor have heard good news. What, what's, what's interesting about this is that Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus didn't explain himself. When John asked the, the very pointed question, really? 
Is this it? Or, or should we expect someone else? Jesus didn't explain himself, who he was. Instead, he gave examples of what he was up to. John said, just, just tell me, Jesus. It's a simple question. Are you the one? But Jesus doesn't give an explanation. Instead, he gives examples. He gives evidence. As if to say to John, here's all the evidence that you need to, to make up your mind about who I am. But, but I'll tell you, John, the hurting, the, the poor, the sick, the, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, they know that I have come for them. They know. That's the evidence. Now, who do you say that I am? But John wasn't expecting that. Now, John was expecting judgment. I mean, how dare Jesus have the audacity not to conform to the biography that I have created for him? Really? Really? And then watch this. This is how Jesus kind of closes this. Verse 6, Jesus said to John's disciples, this is kind of his last remarks to them. He says, make sure you tell John this too. Happy are those, or blessed are those who don't stumble and fall because of me. Go tell John. Go tell John, don't, don't stumble. Don't stumble, John. I know you're discouraged. I, I know you've got your doubts. I, I'm not, I know I'm not who you expected me to be or do what you expected me to do, but, but don't stumble, John. And Jesus didn't assure him with some sweet platitudes. He didn't send him some cheesy hallmark card that says, hang in there. Everything's going to be all right. No, no. What, what Jesus says is now things, things may not have turned out the way that you expected them to, the way that you wanted them to. John life has painted a, a different picture than what you had hoped for. But, but I tell you that, that if you can be at peace with that, if you can come to peace with that, then, then you'll be happy. You'll be blessed. And so the way the story ends um, is a way that, that we wouldn't expect John's story to end. I mean, there John is. He's in a prison cell. And, and we would expect a fleet of angels to come in, flood the prison cell, break John out, and proclaim the good news throughout all of the world. Like, that happens so many other times in the Bible, that same thing. But instead, this story, John's story ends a few chapters later with John's head served on a platter at a dance party. King Herod seems to have won. And John has lost his head. There's a cost to Christmas. Uh, a cost not only associated with our wallets, we, we know that, but there's a cost to Christmas that comes to us. A cost to our comfortability. Uh, a cost to our expectations. That, that God coming to our world changes everything. It costs us something. So you see, while John is in that prison cell, he had a choice to make. Was Jesus the one? And we have that same choice to make too. 
that at times we might feel stuck between our expectations and our experience of Jesus. We, we might find ourselves a little bit discouraged. Really? Really? We might find ourselves discouraged by ourselves. Discouraged by the church. Yeah. Discouraged by the world. Discouraged by the injustices that we see, the sin that is still palpable, the, the darkness that is still present. We, we may even feel discouraged by God. Really? Really, God? Really? Irritated disbelief, frustrated disappointment. Really? Now, look, I get it. I get it. But I would say, don't stumble. Don't, don't stumble and fall. I would say instead, look, look for the evidence, not the explanation. Cause you're, you're not going to get the explanation that you want. Look for the evidence. Look, look for the gifts of Christmas, the, the things of Christmas that have cost some people something. Are the hungry being fed? Are the poor hearing some good news? Are the sick being healed? Are the lonely no longer alone, but being walked with? Have the weary found some rest? Do the voiceless now, now have a voice? And, and I know, I know some of you all, you feel a little bit like John right now. You look around and see all, all that's wrong in the world. And you ask that one word loaded question, really, really God, I, I get it. I get it. There is no explanation, but I think that there is a whole lot of evidence. And for those of us who are on the other side of the prison bars, friends, we've got some proof to put forth. We, we've got some evidence to come up with because we've got the whole world looking at the church right now with all of our nice, pretty lights up and our decorations. Like we're getting ready for a party. And you know what the world is asking? Really? Really? What do you have to celebrate? I say, let's give them some evidence. Let, let's give them some proof. Let's show them some hungry people that are being fed. Let's show them some enemies that are being forgiven, some sick that are being cared for, some broken that are being healed. Let's, let's show them. Let's show them that, that he is the one. He really is the one that we have been waiting for. And you don't need to look anymore. Don't stumble. Don't stumble. Because Jesus really is the gift of Christmas. Let's pray. And so, God, wherever it is that we come to you today, Lord, we might be full of discouragement and doubt. We might find ourselves in, in that gap between what we expected, how we wanted, how we hoped that you would move and act. And now we find ourselves a little bit lower in the muck and mire. But God, I pray that you would remind us we don't need to stumble. 
No. Show us the evidence. Show us the proof that you are good, that you are with us. As we cry out, how much longer, God, may we know that you are here. God, for all of us. Holy Spirit, make us busy. Showing the world, providing some proof that Jesus, you are king and you do change everything. May that cost of Christmas, of you coming to us, God, may we feel the weight of it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, so we're in this Advent season, a season of, of waiting. Uh, it's a season where we celebrate, you know, the coming birth of Jesus that, that has already come. And, and we, we celebrate that thousands of years ago in Bethlehem, but also we, we wait for his second coming in glory or, or the day when, when we will meet Jesus, we find ourselves in that gap, right? And Jesus knew that. And so he left us with some evidence. I said, you know, those who are hungry, I'm going to feed them. Those who are sick, I'll heal them. Those who are lonely, I'm going to give them a place. And a thing called my church. And we don't always get it right. But friends, this is Jesus's evidence that he is alive and at work and here with us. So he gave this to his disciples the night before he went to the cross. As he sat in that upper room, he took bread. He gave thanks to you, O God. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks to you, O God. He blessed it, gave it to his disciples, said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. So holy God, we pray that your spirit would come fall fresh on our lives, move us into action. God, your spirit would flood those shadowy places in our hearts and our souls. Those places where hidden sins and secrets lie. Those places of pain and shame and guilt. God, you would flood that with your marvelous light of love. Holy Spirit, we ask for your forgiveness and your presence and your power. And God, send us out. Send us out as one with each other, with you, with one voice, one calling, one mission and ministry to prepare the way. Tell the world the king is coming. The king is coming. May we do that in all that we say and do. Amen.